7.2 million. That's the number of unemployed people in South Africa. A jump of over 700,000 from the previously reported quarter. According to Statistics South Africa, compared to a year ago, total employment decreased by 1.4 million. The number of unemployed persons increased by 507,000, while the number of persons who were not economically active increased by 1.5 million. On Tuesday, 23rd February 2021, Stats SA released the quarterly labor force survey for the fourth quarter of 2020, and the current state in South Africa is alarming. Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Workplace Revolution with me, Sikhle Bolani. Joining me for today's conversation about the state of employment in South Africa are Buhlembele, a talent management and graduate recruitment specialist, and Celeste Stewart, a learning strategist and founder of Bold Curiosity, a learning and people development consultancy. Ladies, welcome back to the Workplace Revolution. Thanks, Thank you for having us. <laughs> so this report came out on Tuesday um, and, you know, we have all been, it's Thursday now, and there's obviously been lots of conversations around the crisis that is unemployment in South Africa. It's a conversation that we've been having for a while now because we are seeing the steady decline in in, in employment figures. Um you know, in looking at the latest report that has come out of Stats SA in the finance industry alone, in one quarter, the fourth quarter of 2020, 123,000 jobs were lost. Um, but if you look at a, 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 an industry like the community and social services, in that same quarter, 170,000 new jobs were filled, which is a very interesting um, um contrast for me because it, you know you look at the the traditional kind of uh industries like finance you know the 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 white collar jobs the stuff that you're supposed to go to school and study for the careers that are serious they are the ones that are bleeding jobs but the 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 industries that are considered a bit softer like community and social services seem to be creating new jobs what are your views on this this in the, these insights that we are getting through this survey. Celeste, let's start with you. Yeah. Okay, so um, I it's it it is so interesting, and I think for me it just talks to um, how the world is shifting right now, and how we are dealing with the impact of the the global pandemic. So so that that is the one the one insight I I take from this. From, from those numbers and the stats. And the other one is that it does get us to start to question all of these metrics we've held onto in society for the longest time. Yeah. If you yes. think about how our parents conditioned us as to what success is, you know, I believe that the talent development begins at home and it starts with a conversation we have as parents. So we were told, go for these specific careers. And now suddenly with... Um, with 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 COVID impact on, impacting us so hard, all of these truths that we've held onto have been thrown out of the window. So you find mm. this this complete paradigm shift when industry is taking a massive knock and something that you were not inspired to go or you were not encouraged to go into. And perhaps even, you know, if you take it 
on another level that it seemed to be inferior to other industries and other roles in in our society are now suddenly booming mm. and so for mm. me that that interesting and also you know I, i'm not surprised because if you look at the the services and the skills needed now just to deal with the psycho social impact of what we're dealing with um in the world i mean anxiety is on the on the increase um mental health is is something we need to be thinking about people need support in different ways mm. so so it's it's a bit of a whoa when you look at it it is a paradigm shift but it actually fits the narrative of where the world is right now i mean bushy i'd love to yeah. hear your thoughts yeah i mean I, i completely agree with you celeste and you know for me what's actually stood out is that for such a long time we've continued doing things in the traditional way mm. you know the traditional way of thinking and the matrix um you, you know and recruiting for specifically in my space you recruit the same throughout the years and all of a sudden it felt like the world you know shifted and we had to do things very differently we had no choice and i've said this before to young people that as much as it could be discouraging it's an opportunity to you know birth something new um there are jobs that are being created in this pandemic um i think where we lack is the support in in ensuring that we uh, see these ca- careers um that are being planted right now into its full um into its full capacity and i think that's where we are you know i've i've literally stopped thinking of doing things the way i used to do i've started doing things very differently within my space and that's how you have to be you have to be agile you have to adapt with everything that's going on and i think being a personable employer is more attractive nowadays mm. than being an employer who can you know give you certain exposure so mm. your health is important to me and me supporting you in that you'd be able to do the work that I'd like for you to do mm. so i'm seeing a change in that way um but which does absolutely speaks uh, to what you're saying Celeste Mm. and you know what you raise an interesting point around um adaptability in organizations um you know and particularly for for people like us who have been in very formal corporate structures and particularly for me coming from a financial services environment it's very much always been a case of this is how it's always been done and this is how it'll continue to be done because that's just how we are um and that's how we will be taken seriously as an industry you know um but consistently i know and particularly for people like myself who are in these organizations people who have studied um you know qualifications that are linked to social sciences and sociology and communications you know the soft subjects that people don't take seriously you know <laughs> that are not as important as the finance and the bcoms um we have year after year been saying to organizations that we need to adjust the way in which we operate we need to take a more people focused approach in terms of how we deal with employees how we recruit um new talent how we manage talent within an organization but also from a 
continued learning perspective in organizations, but even from a university perspective, our approach to learning surely needs to evolve. Because I have a daughter who's currently in grade 11. And if she was in a school where she is learning in exactly the same way that I was learning when I was in school over 20 years ago, there is a fundamental problem. Celeste, as a learning strategist, do you think Mm. that we are doing enough at a developmental level in terms of preparing people for the workplace? Have we evolved enough from a learning perspective to prepare for a world that is constantly evolving and that is requiring us to leave behind so much of what we've always been doing and what we've known for the longest time? So you said I can be honest, right? Yes. <laughs> Please, dish. Oh, gosh. Um, so the, I mean, the answer is no, to be quite honest. No, 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 and no. So so let me just elaborate, you know. Um, I, I think if we, if we, if we look at how, so, so if, we, if we go into the education system, because I think we can, we can slice and dice this in, in many different ways. But if I look at, from, firstly, from education, what is still happening? How are children still learning in the school system? So much of that is still steeped in the age-old pedagogy, which is a reliant on a teacher coming into a classroom. And it's about rote learning. And it's about, you know, it's based on like obedience and compliance, if, if I can put it that mm. way. Um, and, and um, you know, this is not me trying to be nasty about people in education. I mean, I think having had to homeschool my two children, I have a newfound respect for, for teachers. But, but if we just look kind of broadly, um, I, I don't think the, the schooling system prepares our learners well enough to learn and to think independently. I think there's still so much of that rote learning and being reliant on an outside force to help and guide, to help you guide and direct your learning so that's the one thing and then i think the other thing that's happening in education is that our, our the the ghosts of our past that haven't entirely gone away but it's just come back to remind us again of how this um the schools that are set up in some of the community schools that I went to, for instance, primary school, um, you find that now when when we had to go into lockdown and, you know, people had to learn from home, that's where you, you see, like, the, the problems in our past creep up again because there wasn't infrastructure for people to learn at home. There wasn't necessarily technology. So people who were disadvantaged in the past have now gone even a few steps further back. So, again... You know, it just kind of exacerbates the problem. Then you go to university and maybe you start to get a sense of what it's like to have your own opinion, um, be, be philosophical, debate and argue. But still, it doesn't prepare our our people enough, our young adults to come into the workplace and, and really take the reins and drive their own learning, formulate their own thoughts embrace their curiosity, um, build up the confidence to go to another person and ask a question. So I think, I think like Bruce was saying earlier, this is such a wonderful opportunity for all of us to inspect these systems that we've built up. And I find that, um, and again, this might annoy some people in education, but there are, people, there are some people in education who are so, <laughs> who really want to hold on to the system of 
the past, um, as in education past and that very traditional way of learning, that are just not willing to let it go and shake things up a little bit. And we have to, we have to just do some serious introspection and be willing to throw away the recipe book. I mean, we all need, I need, I had to do it. I had to pivot into the, the online space um, last year with my business. And so we all, we all need to pivot. We all need to change. And I think that's how we're going to make a difference. But right now, we are not setting people, we're not setting everyone up to succeed well. And to my point earlier, the children going to private schools, which is the very small percentage, those of us who are now in a position to to fund a private school, those those are the children. So again, the gaps between the haves and the have-nots is just getting wider. Those are the children being encouraged to um, think for yourself, debate with a teacher, push back. And so... They are prepared when they come into the workplace, um, and and the majority are not. And that, for me, that's very very concerning. It causes me many many sleepless nights. Mm-hmm. So so that's my take to your question, Celeste. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think just to add to that as well, Celeste. Um, I mean, I specifically focus on young, uh, on the young talent, and you know, even the people who are book smart and when i say book smart that means they're getting all the a's that they've been taught uh, they are able to write those essays they are able to re- you know solve those difficult equations that we can't but when they are placed in a work environment they struggle so that was the old issue that we have so now imagine with all of this that's happening how much wider the issues that we have um, to to still try and be solution driven about, yeah. um, I think Sihe made mention of this, but we we find ourselves in a position of, you know, soft skills were not taken as seriously as someone who can deliver on 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 a report or be able to give an amazing. Um, I don't know, find a a new way of doing things. Mm -hmm. But it makes no sense if you're able to come with a solution, but you're not able to present it. You're not able to sell it. And, you know, that's where the soft skills come in. So I honestly feel that our, specifically our university, universities across the board, they need to almost have a program where they run and they teach young people how to adapt in a working environment despite uh, the dynamics that you will have so that you are able to get in in any place and actually be able to coexist with people who are there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I find very difficult. You know, it's either the person is too confident and they're seen as arrogant and then they don't get the opportunities, uh, you know, because uh, all, all the people who are set in doing w- things you know, the same way, they don't want to hear what the young people are thinking. You just mm-hmm. got the job because you got the A's. Mm-hmm. And that's my honest opinion. It's it's not anyone's opinion. I'm trying to be honest. And that's my opinion. But if you come in and you you are very arrogant and, you know, you, you you're not confident, you're arrogant, no one wants to give you the opportunities. And then when you come in and you're softer and you keep quiet, you do as you're told, they don't give you the opportunities because they don't feel that they're confident in you in getting the opportunities. So there is that middle, that that gap that we need to somewhat 
work on but we cannot work on it in a in a in a corporate environment it needs to be something that is instilled from an education uh whether it's from the foundation side of things that mm-hmm. i feel could better equip our young people in such a way that even if i don't get the opportunity of working in corporate south africa i can start something on my own and one day corporate south africa will 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 invest in me mm. to be able to do what i love doing and 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 that's where i think we are i think we're not creating enough opportunities for our young people and they're all thinking in a very traditional way like i have to get a job in a big building mm. you know i have to get a job in a bank mm. and and that shouldn't stop you uh from from thinking outside the box and mm. thinking very differently and and that's why i want to urge young people to think differently to address this issue of our unemployment rate which is shocking like i, I can't I, i can't express my shock in in seeing these numbers every quarter mm. and thinking to myself how can we change this mm. if we're not getting the support from government as an individual mm. how can we change this mm. because our future sits in our young people and those are the young people who are suffering right now mm. and we cannot expect to have a changed world in 10 years from now if we're not giving the young people opportunities and that for me is the concern mm. absolutely you know, you know Bushley, it's it's such an interesting dilemma because i i i always think of us all of us as like stakeholders in the system you know corporate say the entrepreneurial space government everyone and then there's the home and and family and and the 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 point that you raise about like what can i do in my individual capacity i i try as far as possible to also have a different conversation with my friends or our parents and just say like stop pushing this agenda of like my child must get straight a's and then they doing well so again this is going to be a very controversial point and may not land well for people but um and it there's that duality within that because i know for me coming from the family i did i well <laughs> it's all my family <laughs> but coming from the family that i have um there was a lot of pressure for me to for all of us to do well because my parents couldn't go finish school go and study because of you know our past system and so i almost felt like my my choices were were already set out for me from from the word go you know i definitely wanted to pursue like drama and that kind of thing and i just wasn't allowed to because the thing was oh you're not going to make money you must be you know you must be able to, to live off that and so um you know i i did manage to somehow along the course find my passion and so i'm i'm living that now but i think as parents we also need to strike find find a way to strike a balance where our children are mastering the schooling system yes mm. but they also be encouraged to follow what makes their heart, what makes them happy because that that there's 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 nothing as powerful as following your heart and at the end of the day you need to be able to pay your your debit orders because it doesn't help you say to the bank like sorry i can't pay you but hey i'm happy <laughs> hey i'm happy you know i'm fulfilled and And so for me I think you know we talk about corporate and all of this I think as parents we also need to look at these numbers and go okay so 
how do I really help my child find what what brings them joy and connect to it? And let's start having a conversation. So if you want to be a hairstylist, I mean, I was working with a grad the other day and she said, working with hair is my passion. And I love hearing stories like that because, I mean, everyone, you, we all must have our hairstyle. So it's not like there's a lack of opportunity for that skill, but it's yeah. do we value it as much as the others? And she just said, my parents said to me from the word go, like, you're not going to do that because you're not going to become like a backyard hairdresser kind of setup. And so that was the end of a dream. And my heart just broke because, you know, if your child wants to be a a plumber or a hairstylist, let them pursue that and then encourage them to learn entrepreneurial skills so that when when they get to that point, they can start to think about their business and start to set them up with courses that's going to help them to think big or scale up. Or maybe they don't want to scale up. Maybe that's what makes them happy. So I think as, as parents, we must also use this opportunity to stop, reflect, um, think about what we're pushing in our homes, also be connected yes. to the reality in South Africa, though. Of we, we all carry the the... The pain, I, I, it's weird for me referring to like apartheid South Africa in the past because like living in Cape Town, you feel like it's still very much alive here every day. But, um, you oh, know, that, that, <laughs> that we, we just are so, so careful with what we push and what we measure and what we project onto our children from what we had and didn't have. And, and we really prepare our children for a world of where the world is shifting and, and that, you know, we start to think about disruption and innovation and that what that can mean for what we support our, our children to do 10, 10 years from now. Because, oh, imagine what the world is going to look like 10. I mean, I can't even imagine that. I don't want to imagine that because we are in trouble. If, if we are in this position right now, if we fast forward 10 years, we are in big trouble. Um, we need you know, something that is going to disrupt our economy on a positive trajectory um, in such a way that, you know, it sees the youth in that light. And I think a huge focus needs to be on our education system. Um, whether, whether you know, you are inclined to, you know, you're book smart and, you know, you're very... I don't know, maths and science driven, but also for the kids who are not as strong, but technically are amazing. You know, I think those careers are not really considered. I mean, being a plumber is, there is so much, people frown upon, you know, like, oh, I can't be a plumber. You know, I can't be a handyman. Whereas the people are making money in that industry, like a lot of money. So Yes, everyone wants a comfortable life, but not everyone can be packaged the same. And the minute you realize that, and the minute as parents, we are open to hearing our children and actually motivating them, because that's all they need. I think if your parents had motivated you into the arts, who knows, you could have been sitting in Hollywood. We could have had like a star right now, you know? So, exactly. Exactly. You, you, you could have been an actress right now. So, and, and I think it's also educating parents, you know. Um, I worry about kids who don't have access 
to these kind of platforms because their parents are set in their ways. They are happy if you get a job and you're working under someone and that for them gives them comfort. They are proud of you. So don't, they don't ever see you as a person running the business. You have to be seen as a person working for the business. Um, and, and that's, and that's scary. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's, that's big. You've both raised um, very, very valid points. And, you know, this is something that I think about often. Um, my daughter and I, or I think with the three of us, our kids are in a a position of privilege, a privilege that we we acknowledge in that they have access to, to parents who are young, but also who are open-minded about what success is and encouraging your kids to follow their dreams and having the capacity to support them in whichever way that they need in order for them to pursue whatever passions that they have or whatever they want to explore and to encourage a spirit of curiosity within them. But for so many, a huge chunk of South Africans, that is not a reality because they are in homes um, you know, yes, all of us are still dealing with a lot of traumas relating to this country's past, which still exist in many ways today. Um, where you know the the and and the trauma response is we just want our children to make a living, get a job. It's really that simple, that clear cut, and there's no two ways about it. And for them, that means going to get a job at a company. Like, for instance, a bank, because a bank is stable and you can have a job for 50 years and stay there and you won't be out of a job, hopefully at any point, if you just keep your head down and you keep doing your work. And this is what they instill in their kids, Um, which is the same type of thing that is instilled from an education level. You go to school, you do what you're told, you study for exams, you produce the marks and everybody comes out as a cookie cutter at the end of the school year. Many kids don't have access to parents who will say, go on the internet, here are different, based on, you know, my understanding of you and your interests, there's different careers that you can explore, go and check this out, here's a YouTube video about this. They don't have that. And even if they do, they may not, for for instance, have the data to be able to do that or a computer at home to be able to do that, you know, um, to be able to fully explore their options. Um, and so that's a very real reality for us. You know, looking at the status A figures, that the highest unemployment rate is recorded between people, uh, it's recorded for, for people between the ages of 15 to 34. Mm-hmm. And it's absolutely horrendous. And also we are seeing that there is an increase in despondence among many of the people who are unemployed, um, a despondence to a point where they don't see the point of furthering their education or upskilling themselves. Because Mm -hmm. what for? Mm -hmm. If I'm just going to be sitting at home still. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and these are skills that could have been taught to them while they were still in the formal education system yeah. based yeah. on the reality that we're currently in and the future of where the world is going. 
So you're right, Celeste, in your point around the fact that our education system is not up to par in preparing young people for the future, the reality of the future. And I think what's also scary, uh, CK, is the fact that um, I was listening to an interview, I think, by Blade Zimandi, and he made mention of, you know, the careers that are mm. oversubscribed uh, mm. and urging young people to relook at, you know, the professions that they're wanting to study or what they're studying in. And that's sad because how do you say that when the school system is saying something else? So it, I always feel that then there's clearly no communication happening because from a high level, if you're saying this is what we're expecting, but the lower level is doing something else, then there's something wrong with the system. Mm-hmm. Um, critical skills that you know are needed are not being put out there for for young kids. Mm. Kids are studying what they know, what they have heard. They are not going to go and study uh, information systems so that they can be a Java developer one day Mm. because they don't know what that is. Mm. So it's difficult when, yes, there are jobs in the market. And I always tell people, there are jobs in the market. One, it's either you can't find those jobs you cannot search for those jobs uh, b- because you don't have the skills to. Or secondly, you don't know of those jobs because you haven't studied of them. You haven't heard of their career. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of education that needs to happen on so many areas for us to 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 be placed in a better position of, mm-hmm. of these stats. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of groundwork. I think... A lot of the times we look at the number and we're like, oh my God, this is a sh- shocking number. Mm. But we haven't gotten to the root problem. Yeah. I mean, which, I remember... you know, we, mm. we, we're not saying things that kids need to be studying. You Absolutely. Know? Um, they don't know of careers. They don't know about this list of critical skills mm. um, that they can be exposed to. Mm. And, and fundamentally, we, we're not going to be able to change anything at this point. Mm. I remember when I was um, in high school um, and we, you know, you you have to choose a particular subject. There's a a package of subjects that you have to do together. Otherwise, you don't get a university or a bachelor's exemption. And for me, that was one of the most frustrating things because I don't want to do any of those packages I want the flexibility to pick and choose the subjects that I enjoy and that will actually help me think about, you know, think differently about potential careers. So if I want a university exemption and I happen to be good at accounting, but I'm terrible at maths and science and maybe I'm good at biology, there's a 50-50 chance that I may or may not get that exemption at the end of my matric year. On what basis? Whereas if I had been able to say, I want to do accounting and biology, but I also want to do geography and history, and I would have probably gotten high marks because those are the subjects that I actually enjoyed, and I would have been able to attain that university exemption. Why? You know, the fact that there's a particular set of subjects that you have to do together in order to go to university, and if you don't, 
then you're not good enough for a university and you've got to go to a college, which again is something else that we look down upon, even with this country's history. That if you didn't go to university, if you went to a technical college or if you went to, a, you know, you studied a diploma somewhere, then your education is not as good as everybody else. Then yeah. you're not as smart or as qualified as people who went to universities. So all of these different mindsets influence the current state that we're in as a country as far as employment and unemployment figures. Celeste, what is your view around those issues? So I think um, as you were talking there, essentially about, you know, schooling the, the subjects and all of that, I, I was again just struck by this thought that, that I'm constantly grappling with in my mind, and that's how the schooling system is actually set up as a feeder into university. So, so in many ways, that is, is carving out your choices for you before the time. So when I say we must become flexible around that, I mean we must be willing to, you know, as we've all said on the call thus far, is to, is to say that university is one stream that you might go into. Um, there are these other streams, and, and generally as a society, we put equal weighting on it, I, 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 and on, on whatever stream you choose. So we don't create this, like... Um, social uh, or the, this like whack power system where we go like oh you go to university that's great and like here's this person who goes to t- technicon and they are the 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 quality of the thinking and their capability seem to be less than so it's kind of rethinking that for, for all of us whether it's a south african citizen whether we're looking at it systemically from leadership that that shift needs to happen um I, I I also just think we need, you know, these, and my husband and I always have this, this conversation about, like, what stops people from being curious, right? Because because you could, you know, I, I sort of move between, is are you born with curiosity or can you develop your curiosity? Because we see how curiosity is, is such a... It's such an enabler, um, especially if you come from an environment where you've had little because of, of our past. And so I think for we, Shane and I, we talk about, like I'll say, but like people must go and explore. And of course, that exploration comes with so much confidence that's required and so much pioneering, because you'll find that, that like I know from my own personal experience as well, when I when I had to go and prepare for an interview, there wasn't anyone at home that I could go to and say, please help me. And and just so that I want to be very clear about this, it's not that we lack the intelligence in our household. I consider my parents to be two of the most intelligent people I know, but there just wasn't that reference. So when I spoke about a certain question, it just it would sound foreign to my parents because they'd never heard about it before. So there's all that those quadrants about information I know I know and information I don't know and I don't even know that I don't know it. And that for me is the spot that we need to start encouraging our, our children to explore, especially those who have limited resources through schooling. So maybe if there's somebody listening to to well whoever's listening to this is pass it on to people who won't necessarily have access to it and not in a patronizing way. I'm not saying that either, but sometimes a statement or just overhearing something in a question can become such a, it, it, it provokes someone's thinking and it can just change the course of, of everything we do. And so I think, you know, encouraging that curiosity, encouraging, encouraging the exploratory thinking um, in our families, in our communities. It also, you know, I spoke earlier about 
compliance and obedience. And this is where we still deal with um, oh, that, that, that slavery mindset is still so embedded in our families and our communities where, you know, we still encourage to just put your head down and work. So clearly you spoke about going into the bank earlier or going into an industry or an organization like a bank and, and putting your head down and working. And so we, we must also just be willing to break away from that um, from that, that conversation, that way of thinking, and really encouraging curiosity. And, you know, there's, there's stuff on, on YouTube people can watch. Um, there's, there's, um, there's just so much around the brain and neuroplasticity. And I think for me, that's where we need to start the conversation. The conversation shouldn't be about content, but it should be around how do we think? How do our brains work? How do we learn? Because those skills you can take with you into any field. So instead of rushing off into a flippant conversation about biology and accounting, how about we start having conversations about the most important organ in our body that we know the least amount of, but that impacts everything we do, and that's our brain. And and wherever you come from, like just understanding some basics about attention, good quality thinking, um, growth mindset, you know, find out if you can if you can teach yourself a little bit about that, because I think that will equip equip our our children, especially those who have fewer resources, to really fuel their curiosity, and 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 put some tools in their toolbox and help them go further. And then as parents, we must encourage it. Teachers must make it their job to also understand the brain and learn about the brain, like whatever school you're in. And again, I, yeah, I empathize with, with, with teachers because because of the CAP system or the CRAPS system, like some people jokingly call it, it's so much <laughs> Our teachers are so bogged down with so much admin and red tape that they are they're taking their attention away from how do we help our children fall in love with learning. Because let me tell you, an engaged learner can learn flipping anything. So, so, so you know, like, how do I answer that question, Sisha? I think we all need to be willing to get in and get our hands dirty and start to think differently about what we're aspiring to, what we're measuring, or what we're holding people accountable for. And that's when we start to move the needle um, in the right direction. We don't know what the world is going to look like five years from now. But the best gift we can give another person is the ability to think for yourself so that when you're at that point, at that cusp in your life, you can at least think critically. You can solve problems. You can learn. And these are all the skills that the World Economic Forum is saying is our top 10 skills for the world in 2022. And, 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 and that's where our focus needs to be. And then you can say, okay, the next layer then is accounting and some of those 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 technical pockets of information but the conversation about how we think how we optimize our thinking how we learn for me that that that's that's a starting point i i i definitely agree with you um i've i've found that you know in order for young people to be inspired they need someone who's also as aspirational um, and teachers, you know, are sitting in, in, in that position, but our teachers, unfortunately, as well, just like you've said, that they're so bogged down by the admin that they actually don't, or they're actually not encouraged enough to 
motivate young people. Um, I've never heard of a student who didn't do well in a specific subject um, because of the teacher. So it's always the teacher that plants that seed in you and believes in you. And then all of a sudden you become good in maths. Um, I used to, I, I know back in my days, I struggled, for example, with accounting, but my, my teacher had so much passion to help me, seeing that I was struggling to help me, um, that I started getting better at it. I started understanding the concepts. Okay, what's debit versus credit? I was able to really get good at that. So I think, you know, in that space, um, children can be so much more. Um, and, and, you know, I don't feel, and I will repeat this, I think, as much as I can, there isn't enough support that's coming from the powers that be to help put a, put a way forward for our economy. And that is just unfortunate, you know, in, mm. in that learning, because this could address this pandemic of unemployment, actually, mm. in, in this country. Um, yeah. Mm. And that's, and I, and, and, and I think, you know, that's, that stems from deep within me to, to ignite one person next to you because chances are they will pass on the baton to the next person and do the same for them. So mm. they'll be paying it forward in that sense. We, we hear a lot of um, talk, we've been hearing a lot of talk from particularly government um, speaking about how small businesses and entrepreneurship is the key to solving South Africa's unemployment issue. <laughs> but uh. speak to any small business owner, any entrepreneur, and you'll hear <laughs> a number of challenges. <laughs> First of which is the lack of structural support from the government to be able to, to build and sustain these businesses. Um, but also, you know, speaking as somebody who, you know, runs her own businesses as well, and Celeste, um, you can also chime in here. You know, for for many businesses, there are opportunities that you want to seek within the corporate space. So you want corporate clients in order to be able to scale your business. Um, and particularly for people who maybe don't go the, the capital, venture capital route, because even then that pool is so tiny um, and it has its own challenges. You know, so you come in as a, a black person, you know, black woman, you've started your mm. business or your consultancy or whatever it is, and you reach out to corporates and door after door after door closes. You can't get onto preferred supplier lists. You're not getting, you know, a portion of the, the procurement spend as a black business. Yeah. Um, and these are very real challenges. Uh, we hear constantly about the corruption, um, you know, that that exists when people, you know, get contracts from, from, from government. And so it's just, we, we, we are not in an environment that inspires entrepreneurship even if the ideas are there even if the passion is there um we we are not in a space where people feel that yes i can actually chase this idea and yet we are faced with job insecurity you know we we, we that is our reality so how do we navigate that for instance if i think about currently one of the biggest complaints that people have about corporate is that they have these constantly increasing workloads. And mm -hmm. now 
during the pandemic, many organizations have retrenched, which means that the people who have been retained are dealing with even more work, with less time. Yeah. Yeah. But your job is not necessarily secure. And so what you could be doing outside of office hours, exploring other income streams. We keep talking about multiple income streams as well. But where do you get the time to do all of that when your day job is taking up everything that is in you? Mm. And I mean, Sile, at this point in time, you know, you're required to work eight hours. And now it's extended to 12 hours. So whatever working hours that you had felt as normal pre-COVID time, you've extended it by another three, four hours Mm. at this rate. And it takes away time from your personal time Mm. that you can put place in into, you know, your kids, your family, um, those passion uh, projects that you have, mm. but you don't have the time because you're so bogged down with so much work uh, that everyone feels they're chasing some sort of deadline. But you know, work can wait for tomorrow. So it's gotten to a point where people from learning have had to structure programs in to help people to manage their work because there's been such a high volume of people who've been battling with anxiety Mm. because of the workload. Mm. You know, I'm not getting to a certain deadline. I'm not getting to a certain uh, report because Mm. X, Y, Z is taking so much time away from from me. Mm. And I still need to do that, making your hours even longer. Mm. So, you know, Celeste probably has been incorporated uh, with the learnings from corporates as well. But there's been such a hike, like a hike in terms of additional learning that has been put within, within, within a corporate to say, how do you, how can you better manage your work? Mm. Uh, there's been a lot of training in terms of working remotely and how to manage that because that has been very difficult for everybody. It's not that you went in into the situation being prepared you didn't even know that we were, you were going to be working remotely. So now you have to manage a team. I've had to manage a team without knowing that. How, how do I manage remote r- remote managing? Because mm. that is, is such a new thing for me. Mm. So I battled a lot with that. I spent so much time behind my laptop and not being even being able to focus on the things that are important to me, like mm. my family, my kids. And I had to literally stop so many things. So I think it's been so important to have people who have a bird's eye view to say, wait, let's stop. You know, let's put these things in place. Otherwise, Mm. what we will see is people who will quit and say, actually, I can't do it anymore. I'd Mm. rather leave the job so that my health, which is a a huge priority, um, more so than more now than ever mm. as opposed to focusing on work mm. work you can always be replaced but your life your family can never replace you mm. and that for me has like has taken a paramount of importance mm. in this current career I don't know what the word is but in this point of my career my health has been so important that I've learned how to put mm. uh, you know, measurements or boundaries in place in order for me to manage my work life as well as my family life. And 
you know, start looking at how can I give time to certain passion projects mm. that I can actually fully give myself into because you mm. also don't want to do something half-hearted. Mm. So I'm, I'm applauding a lot of organizations because they are changing the way of doing things. Um, I'm seeing a change in terms of the employment or vacancies opening up. Uh, so vacancies are opening up. There hasn't been a freeze as there was last year. So there has been an increase in employment, um, which is very great. Um, and I'm excited about that. But also being very mindful of how things are being done. So so there is a change, but it's slow. Uh, and I think maybe it's slow because we're still sitting in February. Mm-hmm. And the chances of us sitting in July, we're going to see a really positive uh, trajectory of the numbers. And I think everyone would have been settled and hopefully we'll all be vaccinated by then. Well, I doubt it. <laughs> but, you know, you hope vaccinations will be rolled out much quicker mm-hmm. so that we all get back to the new norm. Mm. Now, Celeste, you know, we are seeing and... and I'll tell you I, what... what oh, we, we are seeing and feeling um, the, the impact of not putting enough value on having time and space to think. We see it in our personal lives. We see it in the workplace. Um, as somebody who, who does quite a lot of work in this space... Can you just talk us through the value in that? Sure. (laughs) It is so, so important. Our thoughts form the basis of everything we do, absolutely everything. And we can, you know, there there are major debates happening now, some interesting debates about thoughts that we form and then this other school of thinking that says you are not your thoughts which is like I'm still trying to wrap my head around that but I think for the most part we can we can assume that well, we can assume we can agree that you know we we are in control of formulating our thoughts and so I think just taking time every day to create that stillness for you to connect with your thoughts becomes so so important whether it's on an individual level or whether it's a team level or an organizational level this this has shown us that that we need to go back to you know i spoke earlier about our brain and our thoughts you know all of that like i call it your operating system um and and historically you know if we take that and we connect it to theories about personality you know we used to believe that only people who um have more introverted preferences solitude and quiet time because that's what they prefer is is good for them but we know now from the world of neuroscience that solitude is good for everyone so this world that we that we existed in before from going from like one meeting to the next that we've now just transferred over it's now one zoom meeting after the next or one team meeting after the next and you know people are having full-on discussions but like what is the quality of thinking that you're taking into that meeting? And if the quality of your thinking is not good, the quality of the meeting is not going to be good. The quality of the output is not going to be good. And so you just kind of see the spiraling. And so it is so incredibly important that we, if you're not getting this in your business, like quiet time to think days off where you just, just like let's have policies in companies now where you call 
your your Monday a thinking day or like no meeting day for goodness sake can we stop <laughs> can we stop this meeting culture that's just happening now that's happening um, online so that's the first thing let's and secondly let's some of like the leaders who do this well please lead by example um, your social media platforms to post a picture of yourself taking a walk in the forest spending time on your own or sitting in your room the only quiet spot that you can find on your own and and thinking because because people follow what they see and so if you set the example of that as the leader then then good you know and great if if you're not if you're someone listening to this and you're not getting that in the workplace you know simple things you can do like when you go to bed at night and let me just tell you i am sometimes the worst like i can give good advice but like reminding myself you know i'm just being honest here like i also need to remind myself but what when before you go to sleep at night and remember sleep is very important for the brain sleep is when we transfer short term memory into long term memory so if the quality of sleep we get also impacts our thinking the next day but also what we do before we go to sleep so You know, with social media and our smart devices, we have a tendency. Oh, and I sometimes I love just reading all the drama going down. It's so liquor. I feel like I'm involved in something. I'm doing something. But actually, what we're doing when we're getting caught up in that way is like kind of just feeding our brains with all this hype around gossip and drama, and then we compromise on the quality of our sleep. So ideally, we should be spending time before we go to sleep, also just in quiet. either journaling or meditating or um drawing if you like to draw or putting your vision board up of like the things you want to do the house you want to live in just giving your brain a different reference the the the, the work on positive psychology used to say that we should wake up in the morning every morning and journal um and and I'm going to also take this and lead it on to my next point which is about gratitude you know and how that improves the quality of your thinking and so psychology positive psychology is to say wake up in the morning and and list three things you're grateful for the work is now shifted to say morning and evening before you go to sleep tonight tonight what are three things you're grateful for man it can be the smallest thing but what you're doing is you are you are shifting your brain to to look at the world through a more um positive lens so instead of reading the drama on twitter or watching the news which is so depressing then yeah. then rather form form you know that's a whole other conversation about what stories get pumped into these the you know these spaces that that we consume and we process but for you at night as an individual just take quiet time 5 minutes that's all you need to in your head make a list of the things you're grateful for in your booklet um and in the morning as well do that if you don't have time if you are a single parent with five children man do it while you're brushing your teeth you know find a way that you can just center yourself with your thoughts so that you go into the world with a more calming type of energy because you know other than the the drama unfolding with covid some some of these situations we find ourselves in we also pay an emotional tax you know for for being the first of and costs and we can't always measure but we know it's in it impacts how we show up in spaces and so any time that you can carve out for for creating good quality thinking for yourself is good and then be that thinking partner to someone else as well that is so important mm-hmm. um agree with a 
a colleague, a friend that you're going to meet once a week and you don't have to know what the topic is, but an hour between the two of you, you're going to just think about whatever you want to think about, free from judgment, free from that overly critical voice and allow your mind up to just to, to, to just yeah be free and go and explore where it needs to we know from the neuroscience of the brain that with reflection which is good we also know that sometimes the brain only goes where it has always been <laughs> and when i heard that on a conference i was like yo that is deep and so insightful so 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 we can reflect but sometimes there's a limitation to our reflection if we've not been in a certain situation then our brains won't know to go there and so having a thinking partner also just opens up that window of what am i thinking about am i limiting myself in my own thinking how can i go even further with my thinking and how can i take myself to the edge of my thinking because then we start to open up the world to innovation you see for me that's when where innovation exists. And and if we connect this to our past and our history, we for for most of us we were we were raised to just be obedient and compliant. That kind of thinking where you free your mind up to think and give yourself permission to think anything, that's just so completely different. It's radical and and I think that's what's gonna take us into the future. So solitude, gratitude, being aware of your paradigm, opening your mind up to to exploratory thinking I, I think for me that's so important in terms of um being aware of of how we think mm. sorry can i just say this celeste i'm literally taking down notes because <laughs> this just exactly what i needed to hear today so thank you so much literally just taking down notes now the other, well, the last point that I want to cover in this conversation um, from the, the, the numbers that came through uh, in the Stats SA report is twofold. So the one part is that the unemployment rate um, amongst the black population remains higher than the national average. It's currently sitting at 36.5%. Uh, unemployment amongst the colored population is 25.7%. That's 10% less, right? The Indian Asian population, 11.8%. And the white population, 8.8%. And then we drill down a bit deeper and we look at it from a race and gender perspective, right? Black women are the most vulnerable with an unemployment rate of 38.5%. I had to take several seats and several deep breaths when I saw these numbers because, yes, we are aware of the challenges that are faced by black women in the workplace. We are aware of the fact that aside from the fact that, you know, we have limited access to opportunities. Now we're adding the fact that we're the most vulnerable when it comes to unemployment on top of the fact that we are the least paid or the most underpaid uh, demographic group within the workplace. Yes. Yes. How <laughs> do we even begin to navigate this and grapple with it as, as black women? You know, Celeste, you and I are self-employed. Bushe, you mm. are within the workforce. How do we navigate this? And how, how, what do we need to be doing differently? 
That is such a loaded question, Sishe. Um, I think last year when I checked, I saw that there were about 2.8 million people that lost their jobs last year in 2020. Mm. Majority of that stake were black. And in that, it's black women. Mm. You know, and it's within the younger women that were losing jobs. So you find that most of them, they're young mothers. Mm. They're probably single mothers. They're probably the ones who are the breadwinners at home. So you you almost unstabilize so many people's life, lives mm. by just having one person losing their job, mm. right? And I can come and sit here and say, well, go to networking platforms, reach out to so-and-so, uh, do this, do that. But it's not practical. I've known of so many women who've attended, they probably attend every single event that you can put out mm. and they still don't have a job. So for me, it doesn't address the situation that we are in. Mm. Um, and the unfortunate part, which is the truth that I I have seen is that if you're not connected to people, you're just not going to get out of that hole that you're in. And Mm. that's sad when you're in South Africa. You can be great. You can be number one within your class. But if you are not connected or if you don't know certain people, you may not get an opportunity or a shot at a particular job. Mm. It's it's the reality of South Africa. It's it's what I've seen. It's what I know. Mm. Um, I've you know probably applied to so many jobs in my youth, but I didn't get the opportunities. I didn't even get a call back. I didn't even get an email response to say, unfortunately, you were not shortlisted. Mm. But the minute I started doing things differently as reaching out to people who sit in the organization and say, hey, I'm looking for a job. Can you help me? Can you forward my CV? Can you tell them about me? That's when doors started opening up for me. That's Mm. the effective way. So I'm yet to hear of a way that really works. Um, that, that gives you a fair shot like any of your equal uh, counterparts within a job. Mm. I think that we as women, I continue to say, I, I always say this, we as women need to support each other and open up doors for each other, but we never do. And that's sad. We, we, we literally never do. So, you know, you always talk the talk, but no one actually walks that that walk, no one walks that walk with you or takes mm. that walk with you. So mm. they'll give you the advice, but they'll never actually hold your hand and say, I'm going to try and open this door for you so that I give you the opportunity. Mm. So yeah. I, that's just been my, that's my honest feedback to people um, that I, I, I want them to rethink of how they use these opportunities of going into forums where you know they hear someone talk uh they want to do something you know they hear of a certain career and it just ends there and then you're like oh but i applied for the job and no one got back to me so you need to be intentional about how you're going about doing that job and and i hope that i'm 
answering your question, Sisha, by saying that what do women need to do differently mm. by getting, you know, employed? Mm. And and that for me has just, ha- has reigned true to me because I've seen people doing that and they've been able to get an opportunity. Mm. Celeste? Can I also add to to the, the question? Yeah. Okay. So I think um, the what Bushley was saying earlier about women supporting other women and as black women supporting each other, I think that is so incredibly important. And, and again, the duality, when I look at that, I sit with the fact that, you know, I must be the first of and always think about bringing other people on board. It almost feels like... Sometimes it feels like it's unfair. Like, why is there so much on on my shoulders? But but if we look at stats like that, it just it just comes back to again everyone doing something. It may feel little and insignificant, but again, it could be making the world of difference. Like, um, you know, why are podcasts like this not going into schools and being included as part of? Um, the school curriculum so we start to raise that awareness so that we don't we don't um, continue operating the way we are where the the stats are increasing you know and mm. and so again go to the going to education play these podcasts have these conversations and and I think also for, for me I I in my work with with young people I make sure that I'm always the voice of the young person, especially if they can't be in the room, because I know that someone losing the, their job, and especially if it's a black woman, it's not just that person. It's not just like, like people still don't understand the system, like, babes, where have you been living? Like, if you take away one person, you are now, there are seven people who are not eating. There are so many people you know, not getting access reliant on that one person. So with, and, and I'm so grateful for, for my, my clients that I work with who will listen to me. I'm always pushing back and, and defending the, the grads that I'm working with. And, you know, the grads make it easy for me to do that because they work flipping hard because they know how much is at stake. But, but to be that voice, um, especially for our black grads, because I just, I know how much work they're doing. I know how hard the pioneering space is. Um, and I'm not going to be the person to to criticize them because there's enough. There, there's enough of people just waiting for you to fail happening. And I'm not going to be part of that gang. Um, and then also just like a shout out to all the black women who open up the doors for the rest of us. Um, I'm grateful for the women in my network who have done that. Um, I try to make sure that I do my part for others, especially as, I'm, I'm, as an entrepreneur, because I know when you look at the supplier listing companies, I'm still in the minority and I really shouldn't be because because really, wow, in our old 2021. Um, mm. So so it's, is it happening enough? I, I don't think it, it is happening enough yet. And again, I try to also look at it from a very empathic place because again it, there's a lot of shoulders on the person being the the first of in the boardroom um but you know it, it comes with that with that with that role um and so we need to be doing more of that there's there's nothing stopping you from you know mentoring other young black women coming into into the system um 
putting out information on social media, like practical things that people can read and go, oh, okay, so this is what I must do in an interview versus that. Because again, you know, I might think of it as like a short video that I'm doing, but it could be making a hell of a difference in someone's life. Like, like I, I remember I was running a workshop once for, with, with a group of grads and we were talking about interviewing skills. And, you know, this term called self-promotion. And I know, Sophia, you and I have spoken about that before. Mm-hmm. Like, you, we need to get comfortable promoting ourselves, babes. You need to get comfortable bragging and boasting. It's a new thing. It's fashionable. And you know what? The narrative at home is that we mustn't do it, that you're a good woman when you're quiet, you must put your head down, you must, um, ooh, don't, let, don't let me get into patriarchy, you must serve the men, babes, I'm here to say it's all lies, <laughs> they've been selling us lies all this time, you need to get comfortable knowing your worth, you need to get comfortable saying what you've done, if you don't like the, the term self-promotion, then think of it as making my work visible, you need to get good at like making sure people know what it is that you're doing, the value you're adding, your return on investment. And like when I work with the grads, I say make it as practical as when I joined the team, the business, you know, this this magazine had 300 followers. I've pushed that number from 300 to 5,000. Like that was me. Like own your stuff, own your shit. Mm-hmm. Hard to get to that point because we know it's not just your job that you're doing. We know you're fighting stereotypes, you're fighting perception, then you're fighting perception at home. You're in the system of patriarchy, so you've got like a most a lot of tabs open about stuff you're fighting. So the best thing you can do for yourself is is promote. And because when when you when you start to talk about your worth, someone else is looking at you who's unemployed, going, "Oh wow." There's somebody who looks like me talking very comfortably about what she does. Let me also start doing that. And it's not going to be easy. Let me tell you, you, you will be ostracized at times. But for me, the, 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 the purpose is bigger than the pain. So you keep on that purpose of building up your business, doing what you want to do. And when we see someone else doing it, it makes it easy for me to then follow, you know, that, that person. And, and I think those are just some of my... Those are some of my freshest thoughts on how do we start to tackle that number? How do we start to make a difference? Because it's it's not right, man. It's not right that the statistic uh, percentage is increasing for black women. I mean, it's just, it, it absolutely breaks my heart. And, and we all need to do something. Otherwise, we are all responsible for what is happening. And so... Yeah doing doing our, our part we may think it's a little a little stone in the in the pond but actually it could be having ripple effects far beyond what we can imagine so like i say to the grads once you've come to a workshop with me go and tell 10 other people what you've learned don't worry about ip <laughs> okay like maybe do you know like you know if somebody said something quote them um credit people but i mean don't get caught up in that if you've learned about networking Take that information and share it with other people. Share it with people, especially people who are not on a grad program, who would give anything to be on a grad program. At least you're sharing the tips with them. You just, you have no idea how that can help that person show up better for the interview, promote themselves, come across confidently, and then hopefully land the job. So so those are my thoughts, Sifle. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, ladies, it's been... A, 
a really, really amazing and very, very fiery conversation. Um, we will definitely be having more of these because we know how things go. We're still very, very far off from achieving real change um, and impact um, as far as employment and unemployment in this country is concerned. And of course, we all know the journey of the black woman in the workplace. But thank you so much for your time and for sharing your thoughts and your insights um, on this issue um, and for availing yourselves at such short notice. No problem. Thanks, Hitler. It was lovely to be part of the conversation. Thank you, both. Hey, it's lovely to meet you now, finally. I've always just heard your voice, so so great to to see you in virtual spaces, which is great. When we look at this number, like people who have been on, on, who've joined up with Connected and seen how powerful it is, like, why are we not sponsoring other women who... Um, don't maybe have as much resources, but but would value and flourish in that kind of space. Uh, just putting a bit of a challenge out there to to think creatively around that as well, and to to sponsor women if you can. Absolutely, absolutely uh, agree. Thank you for that, and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Workplace Revolution with me, Sifepolani. I will see you again next time. Mm-hmm.